0: and I think far more real than it ever has been in the past and that is come out of her my people that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues speaking of the whole Babylonian system that we find ourselves with again today Isaiah forty-eight 20, uh, echoes this I'll turn back there just briefly because the context is very interesting uh, Isaiah 48 and verse 20. Go you forth of Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans, with a voice of singing declare you, tell this, utter it even to the end of the earth, say you, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob, and they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts, he caused the waters to fall out of the rock for them, he claimed the rock also and the waters gushed out. In other words, at the time God began to deliver his people out of activity out of Egypt. He performed great miracles and brought them out of there. And for the end time church he says, Go you forth of Babylon. Come out of her, my people. And it is in a context of a time of going to a place of safety when he says that here in Isaiah. What are we to get out of, brethren? I have something here which I found very interesting uh, in a book by E.W. Bullinger entitled what is about numerology. I don't remember the exact title on the book. But under the subheading of 666 he explains that the Antichrist will doubtless be found to have the number 666. Probably in his name as an individual. Uh, But he says the reference to in connection with the secret mysteries of the ancient religion goes far deeper and it will again be manifested in connection with the last Great apostasy. If six is the number of secular or human perfection, or unity, unified together, then six, six is a more emphatic expression of the same fact, and six, six, six is the concentrated expression of it. Six, six, six is therefore the trinity of human perfection. That's sort of an oxymoron in itself, human perfection, but uh, nevertheless. The perfection of imperfection. Well, he says that. (laughs) The culmination of human pride in independence of God and opposition to his Christ. Another quote. But 666 was the secret symbol of the ancient pagan mysteries connected with the worship of the devil. It is today the secret connecting link between those ancient mysteries and their modern revival in spiritualism, theosophy, etc., the efforts of the great enemy are now directed towards uniting all into one great whole. The newspapers, world, and religious are full of schemes as to such union. Reunion is in the air. Remember the feast we talked about? Revival? Reunion? Or John did. The societies for the reunion of Christendom and the conferences for the reunion of the churches are alike parts of the same great political movement And they're all making far and signs of the coming apostasy. During this age, separation is God's word for his people and is the mark of Christ, while union and reunion is the mark of Antichrist. I find that a very interesting statement in the light of what we saw at the feast over and over and over again, that God is separating us. He is blowing apart and atomizing the church of God while the world is calling for unity. He likens it here to the talents of gold uh, which were brought to Solomon in a year were 666. But this perfection of money power was only vanity and vexation of spirit. And we read in Revelation that the beast at the end is a, an economic union. Primarily with military overtones, of course, but money is the object. See, is that all I had in here? Yes, that's all I wanted to read there. He has another t- uh, article here entitled The Complete Separation of Israel. <coughs> Exodus marks the complete separation, separation with which God would separate his people from Egypt then and for the world now. So Satan now is well content that we should worship in the land. Satan likes us to be right here in the middle of Babylon. And if we must go into the wilderness, that we should be within easy reach of the world and its influences. So this is just a secular writer. God took them into the frontier three days journey completely separating them from all their old associations think about that one a little bit what associations might we have that we are not willing to be separated from the difficulty of drawing the line which so many Christians experience arises from the fact that it is a crooked line and that it is an attempt to include that which cannot be included how much have we heard about syncretizing the world's ways into the church and how it is so easy for us to bring Babylon into the church. those are the words of (coughs) Bollinger having to do with 666. In other words, unity, or universal, or Catholic, or global, or new world order, or whatever you want to say is the purpose and the goal that we see everywhere about us today in the newspapers, wherever you look, they're talking about let's get together and have world peace. Recently the Pope said, this this past week, I read in USA Today, that the creation and evolution are okay together. We can meld these together and not have a problem. God created a monkey and gave it a spirit and it later became a man. Essentially is what he's saying. And he also said that Luther is okay and maybe we can now re-communicate Luther. And one of the Lutheran uh, leaders in Germany said, is the Pope now a Protestant? Remember the old standby expression we've used to verify something is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> Perhaps there's a question now. I think, in terms of what he's trying to do, certainly yes, because Catholic means universal or global, and he is making moves toward uniting the thinking globally. He's pulling in the evolutionists with the revolutionists, uh, the revolutionists, the evolutionists. Uh, with the religious and he's pulling together uh, Protestant daughters to try to pull them back in. So it's all the same thing. And you read in uh, Revelation 17 and 18 about the one mind, power and strength of the beast. How uh, she reigns over the kings of the earth and how all nations are deceived by her. So it is a global thing. It's not just the Pope and somebody in Germany with a few bombs. It's bigger than that. Revelation clearly says that. I hearken back to the Tower of Babel where again man sought unity of purpose apart from God for his own uses and what did God do? He blew it apart. No more would that happen until now. So the world is desperately seeking a unified global international government and some in God's church right now are seeking unity. They think we ought to all get back together. But I tell you under the present condition that is utterly Impossible. Because too many people are thinking different ways. And under the present configuration, that cannot happen. I don't care how much it sounds good, or how much we might wish it, until God gets done doing his separating, it will not occur. And that's basically what we're going to talk about today. Since the world is unifying, I'm going to talk about separating. I thought Bill Bullinger made a very good point there. Will we come to the place of Matthew 24, 1-2 where there is not one stone left upon another? Now what did we do at the time of baptism, brethren? We pledged our lives to remove ourselves from Babylon. We put our hand to the plow. We said, I will be transformed, not conformed to the world. And I would say, I believe, that God will continue separating and dividing us until we separate ourselves from Babylon, or we will be left behind in Babylon. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 6 and see what our position is and what we should be focusing on right now. Uh, those, most of us who are within hearing of my voice right now were at the feast in San Antonio, and I think you heard this message loud and clear. And it seemed to be not just what God was inspiring one or two to say, but it kept coming up in all the sermons, all the sermonettes, <coughs> that God is warning us to repent <coughs> at this time. Second Corinthians 6, and let's pick it up in verse 14. Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? How much should we be involved with this world? And what concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has he that believes with an infidel? We just don't have much in common out there. And if we do have a lot in common with people in the world, then I think we should investigate our attitudes. Because they, what they are thinking out there in this world, is a lot different from the way God thinks if you are thinking like them and getting along with them, you may have a problem. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be you separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you implying that if you do touch the unclean thing, he will not receive us. Now, that's fairly plain. I don't know how Paul could have put it any plainer. Now, let's go back quickly to James 1. I'm trying to slow down a little bit for the sake of our translator in Belgium and for the sake of you whom I've been speaking too fast for in the past. So, uh, if I get excited here and get to going too fast, uh, somebody wave at me or point a stick at me or something here. James 1.27 Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We are seeking to cleanse our garments so they be clean when Christ returns. And we can't allow the spots of this world to get on our clothes. Now that is pure religion and undefiled that boils it down as much as is possible I think to boil it down Isaiah 52 Isaiah 52 and let's begin in verse 11 here depart you depart you go you out from fence touch no unclean thing go you out of the midst of her be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal And then he talks about a place of safety. For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. So before God will be willing to take us to a place of safety, he expects us to be cleansed, to be purified. Why would he take us there if we don't want to go there? Remember what, lost wife? If we want to keep one foot in it, what motivation does God have to bring us out of it? We can get on our knees and pray, Oh God, take me out of here. And yet at the same time, if we're clinging to the precepts and the line of thinking that the world has, He's one to say, Well, hey, huh? you haven't demonstrated to me yet that you really want out. The onus is on us. Sanctification, or the separating and setting apart, is the major step to salvation that is most frequently overlooked. There has to be a purifying and cleansing period. We have to separate from sin. Now let's talk about the ways that we might separate. Because it's easy to say separate. What does it mean? Let's talk socially. (coughs) To be not unequally yoked. We've used that and it is in the context of marriage. What else? How else do we get unequally yoked with this world? So many ways. (laughs) Let me count the ways. We get so involved with our families sometimes, we allow them to take us away from God, whether it be brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, or whatever. Didn't Christ say that his word was a two-edged sword and it would divide families? Are you willing to give up family? Comes time to go to a place of safety or into the kingdom of God, family may be left behind. How badly? Do you want to be with Christ? Or do you want to be with your family more? It's easy to say, I'd better be with Christ. <laughs> but do you know that? Are you in the little things now putting Christ ahead of family? See, there's the test. Or do you go along with family and their recreation or their desires and demands of you as opposed to doing what God would have you do? You can check yourself on that. See, there's a litmus test there. It'll come up one color or the other. Analyze your life. Analyze what might be pulling you away. The spirit is thicker than blood. What did Christ say? These are my family. Your mother, your brothers are outside. No, this is my family. We have to make that choice. We don't have any... I don't have much in common with a lot of my blood relatives anymore. he's referring to all types of social concourse here. First John one three, Our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. That's number one. He also mentions there in 2.15 uh, Oh and each other in, in one, chapter 1 verse 5 in the Spirit of God. This is where our real fellowship is. And then he says in chapter 2 verse 15 Love not the world or what is in the world. Now we might say I don't love this world but I'll just bet if every one of us would examine our minds, there are certain things in this world that we still like. Entertainment would be a good place to start. Take heed when men speak well of you. See, we're not supposed to be in step with them socially. Romans 13, verse 13 through 14. I'll turn back and read that one. Romans 13. I can find Romans. Here we go. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chamberings and wantonness, not in strife and envying. That's the way the world is walking. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. People say, well, I'm sure having a trouble with drinking. And I go down to the bar with my friends and I have uh, Shirley Temple's until they've had four and I'm the only non-drunk in the group and then I get tempted and I have a drink. And then I have more. What is that person doing? Making provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Rubbing up to the problem because they have not yet come to totally hate drunkenness. and have not faced the fact that they cannot drink at all because they cannot control it. Stay away from temptation. Flee temptation. I'll tell you what, if you belly up the temptation long enough, it'll get you. I'm 52 years old, and I can tell you that that is true. And I don't think any of you would even try to talk me out of it. (laughs) I can stand anything but temptation. As the old saying goes. Now, on the other hand, temptation implies resistance. (laughs) Oh, I wasn't tempted. I just did it. See? Well, you don't hate it. (laughs) It's when you hate it and are tempted, but you have to resist alright what about culturally we'll probably buzz by this in Ezekiel 23 a little later where this individual was dressing up to meet her lovers speaking in type of Israel but let's talk about cultural separation here when we talk about dress does how you appear mark you as one of this world what about makeup jewelry, clothes, music entertainment Do they recognize you? Remember the old expression, when in Rome, do as the Romans do? I don't want to look different. All my friends, all those at work, all those at school, will look at me funny if I don't dress the way they dress and do the things they do. But God says we're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to identify with them. When in Rome, don't do as the Romans do. You see, the different cultures and it's easy to, to use the young people here because they have such varying cultures and it changes every little bit and they're different groups. But it's easy to see how they think. If they have their head all shaved bald, these days we call them skinheads and probably they're a part of that mindset of the skinheads. And they shave their heads so they can identify one another and it shines forth. And then kids maybe and schools that have seen that they sort of like it they don't really maybe identify with the thinking of those people but it becomes a fad and so they start to do it and then I don't know whether they're a skinhead or not because they look like skinheads the same is true of new age clothing if you're a new ager and the music you listen to you'll start picking up the paraphernalia of new age paraphernalia may be the wrong word and probably is the right word (laughs) or the grunge look people will identify you as a scribe a grunge I mean excuse me does God want us to look grungy I am awaiting my grungy bride (laughs) no I don't think so go not to the same excess of riot 1 Peter 4 4 I guess I already quoted it so it wouldn't matter, but let's read it. 1 Peter 4, verse 4. Wherefore they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. That one just doesn't fit in, they'll say at school. They don't dress like we dress, they don't follow the latest fads. All right, the latest fad is the skirt halfway up the leg. What if it goes halfway up the behind? going to keep following the trend? It's come halfway down to the waist at times. Where do you stop following the trends of this world? I suppose when we start getting uncomfortable is when we begin to make the change. But can we trust our judgment in that? Or do we look at the Bible and get God's standard of the way we ought to be? Someone asked me, well, are all these body rings that people are starting to do. Now that's the the, the latest bad, I guess, is body rings and tattoos if it hasn't changed in the last week. But now they've got rings in their ears, lots of them, and rings in their noses, and rings in their nipples, and rings in their navels. And I don't know where all they have rings. But that's the identifying mark with what's going on with the young people today. Someone asked me the question, well, is it wrong to wear these rings in different parts of your body? And you can turn to Scripture, which I quoted, and it talks about and Christ bride there in Ezekiel 16, and it talks about a nose ring. Or was it a forehead ring? I forget now. Anyway, there are examples in the Bible where there were rings in places that our American culture heretofore is not worn rings. And I said, Well, I can't point to scripture in verse. that says a ring in your nose is wrong. But the spirit of the law comes in here. A ring in a certain place might not have been wrong in God's eyes in a certain culture, but it could be wrong in today's culture because of what it stands for. You see, it identifies you with this world and a certain element of this world. It doesn't identify you with God in any way. So consider culturally what you're thinking about. Are you identified as part of this world? Do you fit in with it? Politically, we have to separate. Mr. Armstrong, many, many years ago, said we wouldn't vote. Why should we get involved in this world? 1 Peter 2, 11. Since we're right here in the book, let's turn to that one. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We, we aren't part of this society anymore, brethren. We are set apart as a particular people, called out and separated of God for a holy use. And that is the mindset we need to have when considering whether we ought to have a ring in our nose. I, there are other considerations for me on that. I hope you don't get a cold. Well, I guess you can take it out. It still has a hole. But uh, whatever. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. And let's look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's not a new scripture to us in God's church. But we have seen the church of God, the greater church of God in the last few years begin to blend back in and become a part of the world. You came out of Protestantism. You came out of Catholicism. You came out of the world and were taught the beautiful things of God and then the leadership starts taking us right back to Protestantism and Catholicism. And some of us sort of woke up along there and said, wait a minute, I've been there, done that. Why go back? Second Corinthians 5.20 We're ambassadors for Christ. We're not a part of this world. An ambassador goes into a foreign country. He isn't part of their society, part of their culture, part of their politics. He's then representing another government. And we are here representing the government of God. And we need to be godly, and we need to be seen to be different from them. Fourthly, we have to separate religiously. Of course, these all things have, all these have to do with religion. But Christ said, if they bring not this doctrine, to receive them in your house and or bid them God speak. Some feel that they need to listen to all the different tapes and magazines and everything from all the other groups. And whether it's a group of one or a group of three, if somebody has it out there, we need to listen to it. Not necessarily. I'm not saying you shouldn't read anyone else's literature. Don't get me wrong. Well, we, we don't do that and don't say that, but what I'm saying is if you examine something and you begin to see it go off the path, that we know and the doctrine that we were established with under the one God used, the red flags ought to go up. And don't we have enough time just reading the book and what few publications we do have time to read without reading everything else. Besides that, as the warning was there, as John was worried about, is that it might begin to pull us away very subtly because some of those things are subtly wrong and hard to discern. Leviticus 12.2 Separate yourself from the unclean woman or the church. You had to be put out of the camp until purified, cleansed and then brought in. And God is cleansing and purifying us. (coughs) Let's go to Hebrews 11 now. Because separation requires faith. And this is the faith chapter as we call it. Do we really believe, brethren, in a sovereign God who will deliver us and save us eternally? if we obey him? Do we really, deep down in our hearts and souls, believe that? That there really is a living, breathing, not breathing, perhaps, breathe as he wants to, his breath goes out over the waters. Doesn't have to, but he can. But a live being, is what I'm trying to say. What about Abraham? He went out, in verse 8, called to a place which he should receive after, or after received for an inheritance, obeyed, And he went out not knowing where he went. We love to know where we're going. If we're going to take a trip, we like to have a map and lay it all out and know how far it is and how far we need to drive each day to arrive at the goal right on time. We want to be sure that there's food and lodging and everything along the way that the road starts all torn up, that we can't get there without major detours. We like, in other words, to see where we're going. But God says you're not going always to see, or not knowing where you're... What am I trying to say here? You don't always know what you're saying. (laughs) You don't always know where you're going. Maybe it illustrates it. What about healing? Let's use that as an example. What did Christ say? According to your faith, be it unto you. We used to have a lot of healing. God's church some of them very dramatic I can remember back in the 50s and 60s those things occurred the very first person I ever anointed as a 22 year old just ordained elder little girl my cousin about that tall hadn't been potty in two weeks and I was traveling through to my new assignment and her mother asked me my aunt asked me to anoint her so I anointed her about 10-15 minutes later we looked out in the yard and she was out playing happily Washed the toilet two or three times and went out to play I don't think that was coincidence she was laying in bed in terrible pain and agony But I think God was showing me that well yeah really you are going to be one of my elders and it gave me some confidence but I, and I don't mean just to use a personal example I saw that happen to many 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 people and some of you did too God can. Now, why isn't He? Question we need to ask. What about going to a place of safety? Are you under medical treatment? Will there be a pharmacy there? Legitimate question, isn't it? You're going to have to go off your medicine? Do you have the faith to go without your medicine? Is God sovereign? I think the problem is that according to our faith, be it unto us, and we don't have enough faith. We're afraid we'll die. We're afraid that we'll leave our families behind sometimes. Why are we afraid we'll die? Because we don't trust God. And we don't fully trust deeply believe that when we were baptized and surrendered our lives to God, that they belong to God.
1: And whether we live or whether
0: we die is up to God entirely, and we should not be trying to circumvent His authority and sovereignty in our lives. Do you trust God to do what is best for you and your relatives, or do you not? Will we trust in God whom we cannot see or men whom we can see? And another question, the first tape you heard probably when you began to come to this congregation was, do you see God in your life? And I ask you another question. Do we even yet see God in our life? And if so, how clearly? Will he heal you spiritually if you insist on unclean thoughts? Sexual fantasies? Money fantasies? Will he heal you physically if you insist on medical solutions? I am your healer! Psalm 103. Is God a jealous God or is God not a jealous God? Look up his words. These are hard sayings, brethren. The whole point of Hebrews 11 is why will he come to us if we refuse to go to him That's simple why would he take us out of here if we're not willing to trust him with our lives would we even be willing to go if we don't trust him with our lives brethren we have something so much better than what the world has we just don't believe it that's the bottom line we don't fully believe it. We sort of believe it, and we know God can heal, and we know God could heal, and we know God did heal, but we're not sure He will heal me, and I, my God. Then who is your God? Are you your God, or is God your God? We must get back to the faith once delivered, when God did hear these. Let's go to Matthew 17. I never quite put this together quite this way, I don't think. My memory being what it is, maybe I didn't forgot it. But look at the context of Matthew 17. The transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and Jesus Christ. Went up on the Mount, and Christ was transfigured before them. He saw Moses and Elijah in the vision. And uh, they thought they ought to start keeping the Feast of Tabernacles because Christ obviously had returned, and they knew that his return would be uh, in the time for the fall peace. And he told them to tell the vision to no man. And then he talks about John the Baptist, and he said that, Jesus, that John the Baptist was Elijah, but he also says that truly Elijah shall first come and restore all things. And that to me is a prophecy for the future and also includes the end of the age. So there's more than one type. But notice then, when they were come to the multitude, immediately Christ set this up, took them up, took James, Peter, and John, had them transfigured, or had himself transfigured, and saw Elijah and Moses, pretty good company there, And the moment you came, a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falls into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him here to me. And he rebuked the devil, and he departed. Then came the disciples of Jesus apart, probably very chagrined, very embarrassed, very upset, and said, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. There's the bottom line. These same men, James, Peter, and John, very shortly thereafter, began to heal tremendously. Maybe they got the message, and combined with God's Holy Spirit, they began to believe. And it came to the point, even Peter's shadow passing over people healed them. Will we see that again today? I think we will. I think I can go back and prove that we will. But God cannot use those to do that unless they come to believe God. And unless we come to believe God, he won't be able to. Even Jesus Christ himself could only heal a few sick folk in his own area because the people didn't believe. We need to ask, brethren, for this kind of faith. I think we can see that it's needed. Well, what do you do when you see that you need something you don't have? (laughs) You ask for it. Maybe we need to plead with God that he will give us the kind of belief in him that is required not just for healing but for spiritual healing and salvation. Because physical healing is really neither here nor there. I mean, our life is a vapor anyway. What difference does it make whether we live 30 or 70 or 90 years? None! In the bigger scheme of things. Because forever is what this is all about. If I die today, what difference is it going to make, except to a very few people who know me? Not much. Maybe not too much to them. They got to go on with their lives. <coughs> Isaiah fifty-two. Here again, a little bit of the context of a place of safety. Um, did we read this, Isaiah fifty-two? Yeah, we read that. Oh, well, let's move on. That makes it easy. He says here, go not in haste is the point I wanted to make. Some will say, what's the hurry? See, when Israel came out of Egypt, it was fairly easy, wasn't it? The whole kit and were coming out. It was easy to follow along. I'll line up and go with you. God's delivering us all. Great miracles. No problem. Let's get on the bandwagon. What about when they fled in the early New Testament church, the Ephesian era, to tell them? Apparently, they came out over the time of about a year. They didn't see that there was any big hurry to get out. Will we have that same scenario today? Will some be sitting at ease and say, oh, you know, it's no big hurry? And maybe miss the boat? Now, I didn't say there'd be a boat. I mean, miss the opportunity. <laughs> I got to work on my idiom for, for Muray over Belgium. What about now, brethren? What if word comes in a way that requires faith to just walk away from family, from friends, from your job, from all security as we know it. We are security minded. We like to see a check come in. We like to see a house over our head. You willing to just walk out the door? Sounds easy in theory, doesn't it? Are we really ready to separate What if it comes in a way it did from worldwide? Well, there was a lot of confusion and frustration and mixed signal there, wasn't there? It took us a long time to wake up and finally realize we should come out and how to come out and what to do. And there's still a lot of confusion. What if going to a place of safety comes under the same circumstances? What if we have to trust God? (laughs) Might I add, of all people, not that he's a people, but you see what I mean. very probably the situation is not going to be clear cut. God wants to see if we will walk as Abraham walked not really knowing what's going on. Follow the cloud one step at a time. He opens up a little knowledge. You take the step. You don't stand back and say I'm going to wait and see how this turns out. You might still be standing there and the cloud is way off. You better move forward as you have a chance. Will it seem logical? Things of faith don't always seem logical, do they? Let me cite one example. Peter walking on water. <laughs> he was doing it as long as he was looking to Christ in faith. And the minute he looked down at the water, he said, this isn't logical. Blub. Everything that saved him is he looked back to Christ. Had he not looked back to Christ, I don't know whether God would have, have bought him to drown or not. Peter had to go back to Babylon to preach. Why? Because Israel didn't leave Babylon. In 70 years of captivity, they had gotten comfortable there, their friends and family were there, their jobs were there, and even though they were in captivity, they didn't have enough courage and this free decor with the nation to get up and walk out of Babylon. They didn't want to separate and go back to Jerusalem. Do we really want to leave? you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. Are you separating yourself from all these things of the world that John was talking about that tend to busy up our time and take us away? Can you bring it upon yourself to separate yourself from those things that are burning your time? Do we sort of rub up to Babylon and seek the temporary ease and pleasures of sin? Or do we drive ourselves away? You have to drive yourself to get on your knees and pray. You have to drive yourself because of the residing or residual carnality that we all have to turn to God. It's easy to turn on the television and sit down because you deserve to rest, don't you? It's hard to make your mind work when the body is tired. Now let's go to Ezekiel 21. And we'll spend most of the rest of the time in Ezekiel. <coughs> Ezekiel 21, I want to start and, uh, and pick up a little bit of the context here. Let's start in verse 21. For the king of Babylon stood at the parting of the way. And the reason I chose this particular part place to start is because we heard at the feast that we are at an hour of decision, that the handwriting is on the wall, we are at the fork in the road, say it any way you want to say it, but an axial period is here, a time of transition when things are not going to be the way things have been. That we have to make decisions. And who stands at the fork in the road between us and God? Babylon! All around us, we're in it. Zechariah pleaded and Zechariah won. God, take us out of here. And he says at the end of 70 years, I will. Decisions, and decision time is here. I think that message was so abundantly clear at the feast. Why would God inspire that many people to bring that message unless he has something in mind soon? Hour of decision means you've got to make up your mind. If you're on the freeway and you head up and you see one that says Portland North and Salem South, there comes a decision time, or you'll run into the guardrail if you split the no difference and put one foot on each side or one wheel on each side. I grew up on the farm, and we used to cross barbed wire fences a lot, and I had some rather mean little cousins. And there came a time when you would straddle that top wire to go across and one cousin on one side of you and one cousin on the other side of you would jerk the wire up. That's probably enough of a description for you. We won't waste any more time on it. But are we riding the barbed wire fence? Which side are we going to get off on? I'll tell you what, when that happened to me, I got off that fence. It usually at that point didn't make any difference which side. But we're making the little decisions now to determine which side we're going to get off on. And once the wire is there, you don't have a whole lot of choice. Maybe the choice has already been made. Don't straddle a fence very long, brethren, because the chances are you might get in trouble. It's time to make a separation. You can tie that together with Revelation 12 where the the army comes after the church when she leaves. You can tie it together with Obadiah, which says that those people mentioned in Obadiah would stand at the crossing and try to cut us off. Same thing. (coughs) Then he talks about an axial time here where he says in verse 27, I will overturn it, as it says in King James, but other translations say ruin it, ruin it, ruin it. And whether it's a turning of government over from one man to another man to another man so until it is turned over to the one who's righteous, I'm not sure, or whether or not it's just talking about emphasis. God says, I will ruin it. And we're going to see that he's talking about the church here uh, in, in duality. But it's an axial time. Until he comes, whose right it is, and I will give it him. And we are in an axial time. Chapter 22 Verse 7. Now you can read this yourself and pick it all up. I won't take time to read it all. But in you have they set light by father and mother. In the midst of you have they dealt by oppression with the stranger. What happened? Those who were leading the worldwide church of God began to take light the father's instructions and they began to disrespect the mother and the children all scattered to the wind happened right here before our very eyes and we had to deal with it and we're still scattered My oppression with a stranger and you have they vexed the fatherless and the widow you have despised my holy things and have profaned my sabbaths haven't we despised the holy things of God and you are men that carry tales to shed blood and they eat upon the mountains ok uh, let's figure this spiritually spiritual blood has been shed by the thousands of people in you have they discovered their father's nakedness and you have they humbled her that was set apart for pollution the church was set apart because of pollution to be cleansed and they've defiled the woman, the church with their false doctrines and taken us right back into Babylon if we allowed ourselves to go they've taken gifts to shed blood in verse 12 paychecks for spiritual blood You have taken usury and increase. You have greedily gained of your neighbors by extortion and forgotten me. Uh, Verse 18, Son of man, the house of Israel or the church is to me become dross. All they are brass and tin and iron and lead rather than silver and gold. In the midst of the furnace they they are even the dross of silver. God has put us in the fire, hasn't he? Haven't we been under a great deal of pressure? I think we all see that. Let's go down to verse 25. See see what, well, it's verse 24. You are the land that is not cleansed. This church, the church, greater church of God, was not cleansed. See, that's what our goal and our purpose is here is to cleanse ourselves, to purify ourselves, to prepare the bride for Christ. Verse 25, there is a conspiracy of her prophets. They got their heads together and decided this thing long before. Oh, we're just going to make a cosmetic change, they would announce. And then they'd make a major change of doctrine. When the minister, at that time I was in Alaska, when he first came up there in the 80s, knew those who had just been put in charge in Pasadena. And one of the first things out of his mouth the first week or two, as I recall, was there are some big changes coming in the church and you may or may not be left behind. And I thought, what does he mean by that? I don't have to explain now to you what he meant by that, but he was very close to some of those leaders. And look what has happened. Was there a conspiracy? God says so. A conspiracy among her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They've devoured souls. They've taken the treasure and precious things. they made her many widows in the midst thereof. Spiritually speaking, it couldn't be truer. Her priests have violated my law, have profaned my holy things. They put no difference between the holy and profane. You can eat anything you want, you can do anything you want, just sing hallelujah. That's basically all religion is anymore. His helmet called it the uh, gospel church of God. Wow. They've made no difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbath, and I am profaned among them. And they have basically done away with the Sabbath now. I just saw recently that a memo came out that the Church is now, Worldwide Church of God is going to have the members vote on when they want to keep the Feast and how long they want to keep the Feast. And that is preparatory, I think, probably, to saying, well, we took a poll and there's so much confusion, we just decided not to keep the Feast. And maybe that will happen this year and maybe it won't. But that's the direction it's going, very clearly. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. Is it there for the money? Now let's go to 23. <clears throat> it talks about Ahola and about here speaking of Judah and Israel the, the whole shoot and mash, all of Israel the whole church here. And then it warns about <clears throat> she's delivered in her I have delivered her verse 9 into the hand of her lovers. They've gone right back to Babylon. They've gone right back to the Assyrian in verse 12, the Chaldean in verse 14, the Babylonian in verse 17, and the Egyptian in verse 21. Those four empires, they've gone right back to the beliefs, the doctrines, the practices, Christmas, Easter, the whole shooting match. But that system, that unified, that global system is trying to put together right now. Gone right back to it. Verse 26 They shall also strip you out of your clothes and take away your fair jewels. The good jewels of doctrine have been denied the church of God, except for those few who have come out. Verse 38 Moreover, this they have been done to me, uh, defiled my sanctuary in the same day, and have profaned my Sabbaths. Uh, verse 40 And furthermore, that you have sent for men to come from far, and to whom a messenger was sent, and they call in speakers and uh, professors from other colleges to come in and teach? Mr. Armstrong, oh, would he have blown his lid? And lo, they came from whom you did wash yourself, paint your eyes, and deck yourself with ornaments, and sat upon a stately bed on a table prepared before it. And a voice of a multitude being at ease was with her. We are not here, brethren, to make you comfortable. They are there to set you at ease and sing songs and everything will be hunky-dory. Don't you believe it? She's prepared herself for Babylon and taken on Babylon as a lover. How sad! Is God angry with this? Let's go to chapter 24. The commentaries all say that chapter 24 in Ezekiel is a pivotal or axial chapter. Chapter. All the chapters leading up to Ezekiel 24 talk about the judgment that is about to come on the church and on physical Israel. Ezekiel 24 describes that judgment once it is beginning to be done. Again, in the ninth year, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me saying, that uh, just for what it's worth equates to this year, the tenth day of the tenth month is December 20th. I don't know whether that means anything or not, but just so we get a context of where we are today uh, with it coming up this year. Now, maybe it doesn't mean anything this year. Maybe it does. I don't know. But Son of Man, write you the name of the day, even of this same day. See, he emphasizes this day. And that's the only reason I mention it this year. Uh, I don't know whether it means that a siege will come against Jerusalem this year or not, a siege against the church, or whether it means uh, in some year in the future. But he says, mark this day the king of Babylon set himself against Jerusalem this same day. Now that siege lasted for quite a few years. Keep that in mind. And utter a parable to the rebellious house and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Set on a pot, set it on, and also pour water into it. Gather the pieces thereof into it, even every good piece, the thigh, the shoulder, fill it with the choice bones. The commentaries all say this is talking about The people of Israel. And we will say, Spiritual Israel, this is talking about the church. Remember First Corinthians twelve talks about the body of Christ and how it all all the different parts fit together? In this particular case, the parts are all thrown in the pot separately. Does that indicate separation and division? You bet it does. The body is torn apart. And God says, Set on a big pot of water, and I think the pot of water represents the organization the church and the commentaries go along with that or the nation they would put it so the pot is what contains the members and he says light a fire under it have we felt the heat of that fire and that separation for the last umpteen years when did it begin Mr. Armstrong said he first saw Laodiceanism in 69 we began to see enemies coming about Jerusalem and besieging it in the early 70's intellectually we saw change of doctrine from 86 on Tremendous changes there where the enemies were tearing down the spiritual house that had been built. We have been in a bubbling, seething pot now for some years, haven't we? I think we would all basically agree with that. Don't you see parts bubbling up out of the pot? Don't we see parts here and parts there and parts flying by? Pieces as pieces and parts as parts as the McDonald's commercial went. And they're not all part of the body. I just... You know, a chicken has parts. A chicken can tackle and lay eggs. But a pile of chicken parts does what? It sits there and rocks. It can't do anything. And we cannot make a concerted effort to do anything for God in our present boiling situation. So God says, I will set a pot. Now this is dual. I think it's talking about the church. And then later on, of course, it's talking about the nation. And we've seen the church pretty well boiled apart. Therefore, it can't be too long before he pours it on the nation and turns up the heat there. Take the choice of the flock and burn also the bones under it. Commentaries say the bones are the enemies that come about us and they are the fuel for the fire that, that heats it up. Make it boil well and let them seize the bones of it therein. Wherefore, thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city, to the pot whose scum is therein and whose scum is not gone out of it. If you've ever boiled meat, you know there's forms of scum around the pot. Ladies will understand this. Bring it out, piece by piece. Now there's a little consternation here as to exactly what that means. Does that mean that the body parts of the church are picked out of the boiling pot and begun to be reassembled after they have boiled and purified. That's what boiling does. It purifies, cleanses, gets rid of the bacteria, the spiritual sickness, the disease. Clean the parts and fire and then pluck them out piece by piece. Let no lot fall upon it means apparently that you don't... uh, determine who goes in and who does not go in. Didn't we all go in? I mean, God sees the parts laying around of the church, and he threw us all in, didn't he? We've all felt the pressure and the boiling and the bubbling. But it may also refer to when they start coming out, bringing it out piece by piece, and don't discriminate and say, well, I like this person, or this person's part of my family, or, or this guy's okay, and discriminate and say, well, it's let's have this piece and put it back in. I no, he says, let no lot fall upon it. Don't discriminate. If it's boiled pure, take it out and use it. If it's not boiled pure, leave it in the pot. Didn't I say, if we don't come out of Babylon, God will leave us in Babylon? We saw that in other scriptures. For her blood is in the midst of her. She set it upon the top of a rock. She poured it not upon the ground to cover it with dust. What do you do with blood when you have an animal sacrifice? You pour dirt over it to cover it, and God says, in this case, the blood's on the rock, not covered. The sins are not forgiven. Therefore, we must repent that our sins can be washed away. That it might cause fury to come up to take vengeance. I have set her blood upon the top of a rock; it should not be covered. Therefore, says the Lord God, woe to the bloody city! And he calls the church a bloody city. We have been disfellowshipped one from another. Using this analogy, brethren, we are dismembered from the body. What does a dismembered part do? Matthew 18, verses 8 through 9. If one part of your body offends you, hack it off, pluck it out, that the body might go in. God is going to save the body, but it may be missing some parts. and that part could be you or me. Now he says in Romans 11 that if some parts are not clean and pure he will graft in other parts. In other words, God is going to have a complete body. He is not going to marry a bride with a few parts missing. So if we don't do it God will graft someone in who will do it. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the bloody city, I will even make the pile for fire great. Heap on wood. Now it's already boiling, and he says, heap on more fuel. I am going to scour this church and spice it well and let the bones be burned. Then set it empty upon the coals thereof. Once you boil the parts out, then set it (laughs) empty on the fire that the brass of it may be hot and may burn, and that the filthiness of it may be molten in it, that the scum of it may be consumed. Now that's a pretty clean, clean pot. Cook the pot until the scum is atomized. Does that look like God is going to continue blowing things apart? Until we are clean who bear the vessels of the eternal? She has wearied herself with lies, and her great scum went not forth out of her. Her scum shall be in the fire. (coughs) How much do you need to clean your mind? Do you just need to clean up a couple things, and you'll be okay, just as I am, Lord? (laughs) I don't think so in this context. And your filthiness is lewdness, because I have purged you. You were not purged. I will not go back, verse 14, neither will I spare, neither will I repent according to your ways and according to your doings shall they judge you. We'll be judged by our works, by our fruits, by what we do. Then he says, Prepare to cry, make no mourning for the dead, bind the tire of your head and put your shoes upon your feet, cover not your lips, and eat not the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning and at even my wife died and I did in the morning as I was commanded one of the commentaries says he took away the desire of his eyes Ezekiel was under such pressure from God that he would not even have an outward mourning for his life in the evening his wife died and the next morning he went to work does that tell you this is important or not and the people said to me will you not tell us what these things are to us that you do and is, who is doing this? Verse 21. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will profane my sanctuary. I will dismember it. I will take it apart. Read Lamentations if you want confirmation of that. Thus Ezekiel is to you but a sign, verse 24. According to all that he has done, shall you do. And when this comes, you shall know that I am the Lord God. All right. Do we know now that God is the Lord? We've seen this happen to ourselves. Verse 26, that he that escapes in that day shall come to you to cause you to hear it with your ears. In that day shall your mouth be opened to him which is escaped, and you shall speak and be no more dumb, and you shall be a sign to them, and they shall know that I am the Eternal. So God uses Ezekiel as a signator, a sign or a banner as a righteous man. And that those who escape out of that pot who have been purified and escaped will then come to him. I expect that we will see a type of Ezekiel in the end time as well. See, all these types come together just before Christ returns. Types of John the Baptist, types of uh, Zerubbabel, types of all kinds of types, Moses, Elijah, you name it, because Christ is going to be all in all. So all of these things that God has written about in the Bible are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world come, and each one of these Jeremiah's and Ezekiel's is simply a type of the end. I suspect they will probably be uh, boiled down, if I can use that expression in this context, to the two witnesses. Unless David is the third person uh, who is gathering Israel while the witnesses do their work. But when you put the whole story together, uh, it looks like that those two are the final types before it is handed over to the one, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what happens when the heat comes on, brethren? Ezekiel fifteen. I won't turn back and read that for a sake of time, but it talks about the fire in Israel and they hop from group to group. <laughs> Have you seen that happening at all? We we are difficult to satisfy right now. We don't know what to do. There's still a lot of confusion around. We better find a light boat, maybe an insulated one in a boiling pot, and jump in and stay there. The water's hot. What does boiling pot a boiling pot do? It will focus us on our real goals, not these temporary physical goals that we so easily get off on. Heat does that. Tribulation does that. What happened to the disciples when the heat was on? When Christ began to reveal what he really was and who he really was, and they talked about killing him, boy, they were gone. don't know the man, Peter three times. Who are you talking about? I'm not one of them. When he was converted, he said the flock. Jeremiah one thirteen talks about the seething pot and trouble from the north. The Assyrian comes from the north. The Babylonian Empire, the Chaldean, all of these combined as a unified 666 come against us. Will we run? (laughs) Isaiah 11, 12 says assemble the outcast. Ezekiel 14, through, 20 through 23 says the remnant will come to you as a type of the church. So the separation will begin to end and God will begin to regather as we said in other sermons So I won't belabor that point now. But those who escape out of the boiling pot are going to be reassembled. Gather others to him, it says in Isaiah 55, 8. Now let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, a couple of other things. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2. What separates us from God? Our sins. He has turned his back on us because we turn our backs on him in sin. We're separated from God. Isaiah 51, What chapter 50, verse 1. God separated from a divorced Israel for her whoredoms, for her fornications. 1 Corinthians 7. You can live alone if you can't have the peace of God together. John said it's a feast. That's what this is talking about. Whatever it is that separates you from God becomes an idol. And we must remove that separation between us and God or he will not separate us out from Babylon. He'll leave us in the pot. The firstborn were separated out for a holy purpose and we are the firstborn children after Christ. Isaiah 65 talks about the unclean those who say I am holier than you and compare themselves among themselves and say I'm maybe the only one no we're all in the pot together and we all have to be purified together Revelation 11 1 he says stretch a line upon Jerusalem measure the church measure the people start with the altar of God start with the ministry Ezekiel 34 did that Now let's go to 2 Corinthians 7. We read 2 Corinthians 6 a little earlier about separating ourselves out, getting away from the unclean thing. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's our goal, to become holy before our God. Revelation twenty one seven. Revelation twenty one seven. God means business. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I no, I wanted verse twenty seven, I'm sorry. That's okay too, but twenty seven. There shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of God anything that defiles. Neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie. Is God going to cleanse the scum even from the pot, from the church? Would Jesus Christ have a clean wife or would he not? Read Ezekiel 16, just before what we just saw there in Ezekiel 24. He purged her and washed her and cleansed her. She might have white garments. Now let's close this in Zechariah 8. We're just a little bit over here but I'm just about done Zechariah 8 close with some thoughts right here <laughs> because Zechariah 8 verse 16 if I can get there these are the things that you shall do speak you every man the truth to his neighbor execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates and let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor, and love no false oath, for all these are things that I hate, says the Eternal. And then he talks about the fasts of the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, and the tenth month. And I come back to this particular scripture because uh, after the siege of Jerusalem we read about in, in Ezekiel 24, the Jews kept that feast, our uh, a feast in the tenth month, to commemorate the time that the siege came against Jerusalem and all of the horror that went on before God finally delivered them. And is a feast of mourning, a solemn, heavy feast that they keep. But notice what God says. If we cleanse ourselves, that we might be delivered, which is what had to happen to them before they could be brought out of Babylon. The fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and a cheerful feast. Therefore, love the truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. So this thing is going to be put back together once it has been boiled out, cleansed. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go speedily to pray before the Lord. They won't have to drag themselves to the fair closet anymore. Let's go speedily to pray to God. What a change in attitude! They really want to pray now because they see the benefits that are involved. Now they believe. To seek the Lord of hosts, I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem or the church and to pray before the eternal. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days that shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the spirit of him that is the Jew, saying... We will go with you. They don't want to be part of us now, do they? We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Is it worth it to cleanse ourselves that we might come to the point that people would look at us and say, God is with you. I want to be with you. This transmission has ended.